Ah, don't worry about that. Hey, I just want to welcome Barbara Marr, Barbara and her husband Chris and their family, along with um, Barbara's uncle and aunt, uh, Frank and Barbara Lucas, and uh, the Harrisons. You see that pillar? See that pillar there? Take a look at that, that big brown pillar there. And now take a look at Barbara. They're pillars. That when we built this church, God bless you guys. And um, church was really small. And uh, let me tell you, you guys had my back and supported me and um, prayed for me and put up with all my early shenanigans. And God bless you guys. We love you. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know if there were any shenanigans on your part. But your husband was a, uh, I mean, talk about iron sharpening iron. Chris, uh, Chris sharpened me and uh, at times kept me in line. So I just want to thank you for being here and uh, was looking forward to seeing the kids. So, all right, you all ready? Bri- uh, just, Brenda just said, oh, it's going to be a long message. It's not a long message, but she's interpreting today. And let me tell you, she's got her work cut out for her, translating what I'm going to share with you into Spanish. And um, so pray for Brenda while I'm talking so the Spanish people can get this because I have, I have a really deep message for you, Okay. It's a, deep, it's a deep message. So stand with me for the reading of the word. <clears throat> Title of the message is The Creator, Sustainer, and Finisher. That is who our God is. And I'm going to start with Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Pretty simple, right? Heavenly Father, open up our hearts and minds to your word, Lord God. Many of us, when we read these, these few words, Lord God, and you go deeply into them. Oh Lord, how profound how magnificent, how wonderful they are. And Lord God, they have here a prototype of the entire Bible in this one verse. And Lord God, may we, as we study Genesis 1 today and as we go through, Lord God, some other scripture verses, may you open up our hearts to an appreciation, Lord God, how wonderful is the Word of God. And Father God, just be with us as we sit at your feet. In Jesus' name, amen. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I want to I share two verses with you before I dig into this passage. One is from Mark chapter 4, verse 24 through 25. Jesus here, it says, Then he said to them, Take heed what you hear. With the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. And to you who hear, more will be given. For whoever has, to him more will be given. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And there's a, a, simple, a simple truth here. For really, it spans all the different areas of life. What you focus on enlarges, folks. Whatever, whatever you focus on in your life, okay, enlarges. So whatever your interest is, whatever you're thinking about most, whatever you study, whatever you put your energy into, expands. You're into music, okay, it's going to expand in your life. You're going to have a, a greater appreciation of music. I watched as a non-musical person. I saw this with my son. He used to play drums here. How my son got into drums, and then he got into the guitar, and then he got into drum. Um, he got into piano. I mean, he got into multiple different things, and it just it just expanded in his life. If you're into sports. You know, when I, when I was younger, I was into sports. I could tell you the baseball lineup of every team in the major leagues. And it just, again, it, it, it enlarges. If you're into food, not only is it going to enlarge, but you're going to enlarge. <laughs> oh, you see people who are really into food? They're like, they're foodies. It's all about, they talk about food all the time. What happened? That, that's what you'll see. People into health and fitness. And you're really into health and fitness, and you focus on health and fitness. Health and fitness enlarges in your life. So when you, when you see this passage, when we come to the Word, when you're focused on the Word, right, the more you focus on the Word of God, the more attention you give to it, the more it's going to enlarge in your life, the greater the revelations are going to be. And that is something that I want to share with you today. Another passage I want to share with you, Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, 46 through 49, but why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you what he's like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. I just want you to, to notice that. He dug deep. And when you dig deeply into the Word, 
Now, there's a difference between just simply skimming over the word or hearing a sermon or, you know, just reading the word and really digging into the word. As you dig deeper and deeper into the word, the stronger of a foundation you build. Again, the greater the revelations become, the stronger your faith becomes. So when we come to Genesis 1.1, I want to show you basically how I have applied those principles to the study of this one simple passage. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It is essentially really a preliminary model a preliminary model of the entire scriptures. And it's really, again, it, it becomes a launching pad to understanding the rest of the Bible. So here, you know, if you look, if you look at the words, you have ten words here in the uh, English translation. There's actually seven of them. Only seven words in the Hebrew. So let's, let's again, dig into this. The Creator. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, I'm going to share some thoughts with you on this. According to the scientists, okay, they tell us that there are five fundamental elements of existence. Five fundamental elements of existence. Time, force, action, space, and matter. We have some people who are, who are scientists. They're a science teacher here. We have people occasionally that come down. They work at Columbia University at Lamont Observatory right over in Rockland County. I mean, these people are these, these astronomers and they're, you know, brilliant people. But they would tell you this, that essentially there are five key elements to existence. Time, force, action, space, and matter. Okay? When you come to Genesis 1, 1, I want you to notice what you have. In the beginning, you have time. God, the force, created the action in the, he- the heavens, space, and earth matter. There is no other creation account that you will find in philosophy, in religion, or in science that states, again, these five elements, okay, of existence. So, essentially, if you think, if you look at the Big Bang Theory, okay, so you have this, this, and that's, again, them trying to explain the universe. They tell us that there was a Big Bang, okay, so we have the Big Bang model that is taught to us in, when we were in seventh grade and eighth grade or in science class when we were in high school. You're giving a frown because you went to a Christian school. They didn't teach you that. They taught it in the public schools when I was growing up. The the thing is, if you look at the Big Bang Theory, right, you have time, you have space, okay, you have matter, and essentially, right, there was an action, right, a Big Bang, but what was the cause? Right? What was the force? And what the Big Bang people tell you is there was nothing, and suddenly nothing exploded, and this is what we have. We have something. I just want you to stop and think about that. I had a major problem with that as an atheist. I had a major problem with the Big Bang Theory because essentially if you are you know, having any sort of, of logic, you realize there always has to be a cause right, to basically have an effect. So when you have a Big Bang you then have to say there had to have been a, a Big Banger, okay? The problem, too, with the Big Bang Theory is, is that if you have ever blown something up or seen something blown up, okay, it always creates chaos. It creates disorder. I've never seen an explosion, okay? You can look at a nuclear explosion or you can look at you know, a, a bomb exploding or just simply taking, remember, as kids, we grew up, you take an ash can or a cherry bomb and you put it in something, you blew it apart, Right? There was never order, and the universe is filled with order. The universe is filled with systems. The universe is filled with laws, like, like literally hundreds of them, that govern the universe. So again, there's, there, there's major problems with you know, this. But again, the Big Bang Theory says there was nothing, and suddenly there was an explosion. They, don't, they can't explain what the cause of that explosion was, but they say this is how it happened. But the Genesis 
one, one account, again, what do you have? You have time, you have force, you have action, you have space, and you have matter. Our physical universe is dependent upon these five fundamental facts of science, and Genesis 1.1 basically gives us those five fundamental facts. Isn't that neat? How many of you knew this before I'm sharing it with you? Yeah, the science, the, the, the science people. Okay. Let me show you another, another wonder of Genesis 1.1. There is, there is a word, actually two letters, that appear smack in the middle of the, uh, of the passage right here. It, it, it stands in between three words on one side and three words on the other. In the beginning, God created uh, the heavens and the earth. By the way, in Hebrew, we, we always read right from right to left. English, we always read from left to right. If you move, by the way, if you move east of Jerusalem, everyone reads from uh, right to left. And if you come west of Jerusalem, all the languages you'll find in Europe and United States, South America, always read from left to right. Isn't that interesting? Right in the middle. I personally believe we're all going to be speaking Hebrew in heaven. And uh, I believe it is the, is the language. So in this passage, again, you come to the, the middle. And by the way, let me say this to you. You don't need to know Hebrew to know Hebrew. Nor do you need to know Greek to know Greek. Because right now, with what you have with programs like Bible Hub... Right? You can actually know the Hebrew. You go to Bible Hub, you put in Genesis 1.1, you'll get the Hebrew words, you'll get the translation okay, of the Hebrew words, and you'll get the pronunciation of the Hebrew words. That's why I'm saying you don't need to know Hebrew to know Hebrew. It's amazing. Bible Hub, it's a great little, a great little put in a scripture verse on Google and put Bible Hub. And uh, you'll, get, you'll get that information. Put it interlinear. Here's a keyword, interlinear. And you can have the translation in the Hebrew or the Greek. So here again, in, in this passage, again, you've got, you got three letters, right, to the right, three, uh, three words to the left. And you have these letters, the Aleph and the Tav. Does anybody know, what, are the, what is Aleph and Tav? If you don't study with me on Wednesday nights, probably sitting there and you don't know. But Aleph and Tav, if you were to go to the Hebrew alphabet, again, we're going to always, always be reading right to left, the, uh, we have here the um, first letter of the Hebrew alphabet is Aleph. And the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet is Tav. And again, here you have the Aleph and the Tav smack in the middle of Genesis chapter 1, Verse 1. In fact, if we were to, to take that and put it into Greek, okay, what is the first letter in the Greek alphabet? Alpha. What's the last letter in the Greek alphabet? Omega. It's interesting. Who called himself the Alpha and Omega? <laughs> right? Jesus. Numerous times in the book of the Revelation. And uh, go to Revelation chapter 22, 12 to 13. And behold, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me. I give to everyone according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. By the way, Genesis uh, 1.1, you will find a, a comparative. We always look at the Old Testament. You will always find a comparative passage in the New, and you'll find comparative passages in the Old of, of all the Scripture. And uh, so Genesis 1.1, what would be the comparative passage in the New Testament? John 1.1, right? John 1.1, John you know, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. Well, where is He in the beginning? Right, if, he's there in, if He's there in the beginning, where is He? Right, he should be there right there in Genesis 1-1, right? If He was there like, in the beginning, so where is He? <laughs> right there. By the way, it's, it's an untranslatable word. It does have a grammatical purpose in Hebrew. It usually, it usually occurs, okay, as a, basically it amplifies, and in this case, God. But he is the Aleph 
and the Tav. He is the Alpha and the Omega. And if we were doing it in English, he is the A and the Z. <laughs> he is the beginning and the end. I'll show you another place, another place where the Alaf and Tav appear. And it appears multiple places throughout the script. I think it's about 470 times you'll find it in the Old Testament. That's why when I, when I, when I say to you, you'll find Jesus all over the Old Testament. In fact, I believe you'll find Jesus in every chapter of the Old Testament. But here, here's an interesting passage in Zechariah chapter 12, 10. And I will pour on the house of David and on inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me and right following me, what do you have? Aleph and Tav. Notice whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn kind of amazing. But you look again here and just the, and they will look on me whom they pierced, right? They will look on me, the Allah and the Tav, whom they pierced. They will look on me the first and last. In, in Revelation, chapter 1, verse 7 through 8, by the way, if you, if, you, if you study the book of Revelation, and people are like, most, most pastors will not touch the book of the Revelation. You know, most pastors, but the average pastor preaches on 3% of prophecy. The Bible is 26% of prophecy. They're, I mean, they're terrified of even going near the book of the Revelation. You can't understand it. That's some things that I was told early on. You can't understand the book of the Revelation. It's all these different mysteries. and they're all, But the book of the Revelation, to understand it, you must understand the entire Bible. Again, it's an integrated message system to understand the book of the Revelation, if you understand the rest of the Bible, there are over 300 keys that open up the understanding of the book of the Revelation that can be found in the other 65 books. So again, as you begin to understand the other scriptures, this morning I was studying Revelation chapter 1, and I'm going through Revelation right now, and I'm basically just putting a little K next to every key, and this morning, just in Revelation chapter 1, I came up with about 10 different keys of passages, okay, that can be linked from the Old Testament. So in Revelation 1, 7 through 8, again in reference to Zechariah, behold, he is coming with clouds. By the way, that's Daniel chapter 7, 13, and 14. And every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. There it is, right? There is talking right about Zechariah chapter 11. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. Now watch what follows in verse 8. I am the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Right in, again, relationship to, uh, to Zechariah chapter 12, 10. He is the Alpha and the Omega. Christ in the Old Testament. The Aleph and the Tav. The Alpha and Omega in the Greek. And again, I, I believe, as it says here, that is the signature of Jesus throughout the scriptures. And throughout the... He, he, he put his little initials... <laughs> right there in the smack in the middle of Genesis 1-1 and smack in the middle of Zechariah in the revelation about him being pierced. Now, here's, a, here's another, another interesting thing. The, the Hebrew uh, alphabet also contains symbols. So um, if you look here, Aleph is the symbol of an ox head which is a, a symbol essentially of strength and leadership. By the way, also the ox, people always think of the lambs being sacrificed. Leviticus, the five sacrifices, oxen were frequently sacrificed and offered up as burnt offerings to the Lord, sin offerings, guilt offerings. And then the uh, last letter, okay, of the Hebrew alphabet is Tav. And uh, if you'll notice that, the sign is what? A cross. And that's basically the mark, the sign of the covenant. Isn't that interesting? The first and the last, right? He, he is the ox, the strength, the leader, and he is the covenant, the sacrifice. The Again, the alaf and the, and, and the tav. These are all little things that you can find in Genesis 1. Well, you got to dig, right? I, I just want to tell you, this is some digging. I've done some digging. I'm still digging. <laughs> Did some digging this way. I'm going to show you another one. So we've talked here and we've taught on the, the heptatic structure, the sevens, right? The Bible is filled with sevens. Sevens permeate. You ever notice that? It permeates the entire 
Bible, there are 287 uh, sevens in the Old Testament, 98 in the New Testament. You have the word sevenfold, uh, sevenfold. it is used uh, seven times, and 70 used 56 times, a few hundred times. You just go to the book of the Revelation, right? Most of us are aware in the book of the Revelation. The sevens in Revelation, seven churches, seven spirits, seven lampstands, seven stars, seven seals on the scroll, seven horns of the lamb, seven eyes of the lamb, seven angels, seven trumpets, seven thunders, seven heads of the dragon, seven heads of the beast, seven golden bowls, seven kings. I, I was teaching here, it was a few years ago, on a Sunday morning and talking about the heptatic structure in Matthew. And while I'm teaching on the heptatic structure, I put this up on the screen, I want you to notice, uh, see that little number seven up there? Some kid had the number seven in the nursery, and while I'm teaching this, it's suddenly flashing up there. I didn't see it. I didn't see it. And Joanna, uh, Joanna um, Goldberg basically sent me the picture the next day. She snapped a snapshot of it, and uh, I was like, wow, this is like God has a, a sense of humor, Right? Just try to give us our, a little bit of our attention. So you have the heptatic structure, and that occurs throughout Scripture. But I want to show you in Genesis 1.1, this is a partial listing of the phenomenal features of sevens that are found in Genesis 1.1. By the way, this is the exhaustive list. I'm not going there, okay? Brenda, I'm not going there. <laughs> Let me just, I'll read this to you real quick. The number of Hebrew words is seven. The number of letters equals 28, okay, which is divisible by seven. The first three Hebrew words translated in the beginning God created have 14 letters, again, divisible by seven. The last four Hebrew words, the heavens and the earth, have 14 letters, divisible by seven. The sixth and seventh words have seven letters. The three key words, God, heaven, and earth, have 14 letters. The uh, numbers of letters in the four remaining words is also 14. The shortest word in the verse in the middle of the word uh, with seven letters the Hebrew numeric value of the first, middle, and last letters is 133, divisible by 7. And the Hebrew numerical value of first and last letters of all seven words is 1,393, also divisible by 7. Now, you know, you may sit in there and say, I'm not very impressed by that, but if we take all 31, and I just want to read to you, when they brought this to Harvard University, they brought it to the experts at Harvard Okay, I just want to read this quote to you. When professors on the mathematic faculty at Harvard University were presented with the biblical phenomena, they naturally attempted to disprove its significance as a proof of divine authorship. However, after valiant efforts, these professors were unable to duplicate this incredible mathematical phenomena. The Harvard scientists used the English language and artificially assigned numerical values to the English alphabet. They had a potential vocabulary of over 400,000 available English words to choose from to construct a sentence about any topic they chose. Compare this to the limitations of word choices in the biblical Hebrew language, which uh, has only 4,500 available word choices that the writers of the Old Testament could use. Despite their advanced mathematical abilities and access to computers, to computers, their mathematicians were unable to come close to incorporating 30 mathematical multiples of seven as found in Hebrew words of Genesis 1.1. That's a phenomenon. And by the way, you see this heptatic structure, this seven structure occurring in multiple places throughout the scriptures. It's again, all, all, I believe, just this is God's signature that we have his personal revelation, right, in this book that we call the Bible. So we have a great appreciation, and we should be in it, right, every day, you know, studying it. So, again, just a simple revelation, Genesis 1-1, that becomes deeper and deeper the digger deep, or the, uh, the deeper you dig. Did I say the digger, the digger deep? But you know what I meant. And um, so then we have, again, the Creator. And I want to talk to you just a, a few minutes about the sustainer. So it, it tells us in Colossians 1.17, In him all things hold together. Right? There it is, Colossians 1.17. He holds all things together. Sonestimi. Sonestimi. So some of the people who are into, into science, uh, all the stars and the planets and the galaxies that can be seen today, um, by the way, they say that that only makes up about 4% of the entire universe. The other 96% is made up of stuff 
that, again, the astronomers basically can't see. So they can't detect it. And by the way, this is true in the macro, and I'll show you in a second, it's also true in the micro. So you go and you look at the astronomers with the universe, or you get into the quantum physicists, and you look at the, the atom, or even the smaller you know, particles of the atom. 96% is, they call it dark matter, and um, they really don't, don't fully comprehend what it is. But it's essentially what, what it is, is, is that there's something there that's holding it all together. So there's a, a picture, dark matter 21%, dark energy 74%, normal matter 4%. Same thing again, if you go on the micro, you go to the atom, and uh, get into quantum, quantum physics, this is, this is interesting, that the atom is 99.99999% empty space. So it's essentially, if you understand that, I should be able to put my hand through the pulpit because it's 96% empty space. And, um, you know, if I went to shake your hand, my hand should, basically, our hands should pass between each other because it's 96% empty space. So what's holding it all together? What's holding you together? <laughs> so they, they, they talk about the four fundamental forces of nature. Electromagnetism, the weak interaction, strong interaction, gravitation. But even in them understanding that there's still this mystery of where they really can't explain that there is something, again, operating here that is unidentifiable that is holding this whole thing together. So if, if you're, you've, heard, you've heard of CERN, right? They, they saw it. I mean, CERN, it, this is scary stuff. <laughs> Some people think that, that this, this thing, you see that, that these, these tubes, they go on for miles and miles and miles. And um, they're, they're causing particles to crash into each other. The Higgs boson. They're looking for the, they say the, the God particle. The problem is God is not a particle. And by the way, that, that's, not, that's not a word that they use in, uh, in honor of God, I want to tell you how they came to that, that term, God particle, but it was in a blasphemous moment. But they, 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 here again, they're, they're trying to figure out what's, what's holding this whole thing together. And we know, right, from the revelation God has given us, that God is the sustainer. Right now, he's holding you together. He's enabling your heart to beat and your liver to function, and your kidneys to function, and every cell in your body, every atom in your body, he's holding it all together right now. All right, my final point, the finisher. So, he is the creator, he is the sustainer, and he is a finisher. Do you ever notice that? He always finishes what he starts. Don't you love people who finish what they start? I don't know about you, but man, pe people who don't finish what they start, they, they, they make me crazy. You give them something to do and they, they leave the project half done. But he is the finisher. In uh, John 19.30, we'd immediately think of the passage. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, right, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Teleostia. Teleostia. And uh, teleostia, that's the mission is accomplished. Right? He accomplished the mission. When he said it is finished on the cross, he paid the price for our sins. Right? He died for our sins. And that by faith in him, we are justified, we are forgiven, we are redeemed, we are reconciled to God. He did it all on the cross for us. And uh, there's another, another per, uh, place in Scripture where you have, um, it is done. It's a little bit of a different word. The word here is, um, it's, it's Gregorian, if I'm pronouncing it right. And in Revelation 16, 17, then the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and a loud voice came out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, it is done. Now that, that is the last bowl judgment. So in the book of Revelation, you have the tribute. We're going to get into this next week. We're going to talk about the seven-year tribulation or Jacob's trouble. Daniel's final seven. There's still this final seven of Daniel's, right? Seventy-sevens, that is to come upon the world. And uh, this is where the Lord basically, he destroys, okay, his enemies. And you have the end of the Antichrist, the end of the false prophet, and ultimately Satan is taken and bound for a thousand years. And at the end of a thousand years, the millennial kingdom, he's released. 
But here it says it, it is done, and this is the end. This is essentially the end in the economy of the tribulation. It's the end of evil. It's the end of, of the Lord's enemies. And so you have, again, the word is done. There's one other place where you have the words, it is done, and that is Revelation 21.6. And it says here, and he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And I will give the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. Again, the, the, the word here is, it, it has come now to pass, and um, it is the end. It is the end of what? Well, it's really kind of an end and a beginning. It's the, the end of, of kind of this economy that we have, we have lived in over the course of, of these last centuries. But when you come to Revelation chapter 20, the great white throne judgment in Revelation chapter 21, there is something that God does. He destroys something and he creates something. What does he destroy? He, he, destroys, he basically destroys the heavens and the earth. They come to an end. But then he creates what? A new heaven and a new earth. And so you have this, this new beginning. Revelation chapter 21 verse 1. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. So here is, here is again a, a, a finished product of the new heaven and a new earth. And it is, let me tell you something. It is something incredibly glorious when you look at Revelation chapter 21, 22. Jesus said in, in John chapter 14... Don't let your hearts be troubled. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back and I'm going to take you to be with me. And when he said that, I mean, just stop and think. If God created the heavens and the earth in seven days, okay, could you imagine what it's going to be like, what he's been creating these last few thousand years? Um, get me to start giggling here. I'm, I'm spitting. But this is just it, it, a new heavens and earth. So there, there, there's, again, his finished product is a new heavens and a new earth. His finished product is something else, too. It's a new you. A new you. In, in Romans chapter 8, 29 through 30, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. I want you to notice that that's what God is doing in your life right now. If you're a believer, if you have been born again, you're a follower of Jesus Christ, he is right now working in your life to conform you to the image of his son. And he will use all kinds of things to do that, the good, the bad, and the ugly. He will put you through all sorts of things to conform you to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, he also called, and whom he called, he also justified, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. I want you to notice the word glorified. That's, that's the, the ultimate finished product, that we would be glorified. Essentially, like Jesus in his glorified state, not gods, we're not Mormons, okay? We're not, we're, not, we're not people who believe that God is going to make us into gods, but that we will be glorified like Jesus. We ha will have glorified bodies, like we've taught here, he was able to move through time and space. He was able to eat. He, he said he had bones and flesh, but yet he's able to really travel through different dimensions and through different times. And then we will have glorified souls. So this stuff that goes on, right, the soul, the psyche. And you could be, a, a, I mean, you could be Tony Robbins, right? And you could be mastering your mental and emotional states. But even Tony has times of anxiety, or times of fear, or times of anger, right? This, this thing, this thing between our, our ears doesn't always work the way we would like it. But we'll have a glorified mind, a glorified psyche, a glorified soul. Be perfect. And then we will have glorified spirit. And it's perfect communion with God. So you could be a deeply spiritual person, but you know you have these moments where you lose sight of God, right? It's amazing. I could be putting a sermon together and forget God. How do you do that? I'm studying, these, uh, studying things, and suddenly I'm, you know, just, I'm, not, I'm not in the Spirit. He's in me, but I'm not in Him. 
And so we'll have glorified spirits, perfect, perfect harmony with the Lord, body, soul, and spirit. Let me I'm use the body. I'll, I'll use the body out a little bit about the soul here. So um, how many of you have, you have a computer, okay? Or you, how many of you have a cell phone right now? You have a cell phone? Right. By the way, this is a cell phone. Somebody came up to me last week and they thought it was a gun. It's a cell phone. Okay. We got some trouble here. 911. It's not a gun. Yeah, some people, somebody came up to me last week and said, are you carrying a gun? No, yeah, I'm carrying my cell phone. Just, you have a computer. You know what, your, your computer, if you, again, if you, if you just kind of look at, your, look at your computer, right? For the most part, what this thing is, it's hardware, Okay, so your, your hardware, your screen, okay, your, um, your case, uh, it's, it's mass, it's, it's matter. Your keyboard, the battery, and the stuff. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not, I'm not a, a tech geek, but you, you guys know if you're tech geeks. Michael, you know the stuff, okay? Justin, you know the stuff, right? You got stuff in there. It, it's hard, that, and that's there, right? That's hardware. And um, if we go to the uh, software... What does software consist of? I'll give you a, I'm going to give you information. So um, if you have a million bytes, I don't understand bytes, megabytes, you know, but if you have a million, if you have a million bytes, or megabytes, or as I began to understand or, or try to understand computers years ago, I, this, you got megabytes, you got these bytes, you got that bytes. I just wish I, I, I got stung by a bee, and that was a good bite. You know, I mean, that was just, I, I got it. So you have a million bytes, and you go to a billion megabytes. Okay, again, could you, could you imagine that? So you got a million, you go to a billion. Will your cell phone or your computer weigh any more? No. You know why information has no mass. Information has, by the way, no, no energy. It won't, it won't weigh any more. It's information. I want you just to take that illustration. I want you to think of your uh, body and soul. Your body is hardware. Right? This thing is hardware. Your soul is software. Your soul is, is, is your personality. Your soul is your, your values, your beliefs, your desires, your, your memory. Your soul, your soul is information. Your body is, is hardware. When you die, okay, your software leaves your hardware. So your software, essentially, your soul, you call it your soul, call it your spirit, uh, it's, it's basically, again, it has no mass, it um, is not is no limitations to time, and uh, really kind of a, a a dimension all its own. And by the way, that's the real you. That's that's the real you, is you know soul and spirit. And uh, when you die, again your software leaves your body. Your soul leaves, okay, your hardware. Now the question, the question is, where does it go? Because this is true of, of us who are believers, and it's true of unbelievers. That is, that is essentially physical death, is the separation of the hardware from the software over the body from the soul. The question is, where does, again, the soul go to? The Bible says it's two places that it essentially will go, and that is either heaven or hell. In John chapter 11, verse 25 through 26, Jesus said here, he's talking here to Martha, uh, Lazarus has died, he's gone up to Bethany. He says, I'm the resurrection and life. He who believes in me, though he may die, she shall live. I want you, I want you to notice that because he, he is not here talking about the bodily resurrection. He is, he is saying that when a believer, a person who believes in Jesus, though he dies, he shall live. He goes on to live, and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this, right? The, 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 the death of the soul is eternal separation from God. And, and you know, you can call it hell later on, you know, thrown into the lake of fire, damnation, condemnation. That is, that is spiritual death. 
But a person who is a believer, right, when they die, again, their software goes to be with God. And that is the, the, the privilege that we have. No, look at uh, just what happens to the hardware. <laughs> a person dies, the, the body is put, right? It's put in a grave, cremated, whatever. But Jesus said in John chapter 5, 28 through 29, do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice. Now this is talking about the bodily resurrection. And come forth those who have done good to the resurrection of lives and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. The believers, by the way, that, that, the, becoming a believer is good. <laughs> Rejecting Jesus Christ is bad. Putting your faith in Jesus Christ is a good thing. It's the highest thing I believe that a human being can do. And rejecting Jesus Christ becomes a thing of, of, of evil. And there's a whole lot of implications that, you know, that follow with that. But here, again, when a believer dies, their soul goes to be with the Lord. When the resurrection happens, that body is going to be raised to glory, just like Jesus' body, and it's going to be met, right, in the clouds with the Lord, and that soul, okay, is going to now have a glorified body. And that is the resurrection of the body. And you know what, I, I look at this, I'll just say this to you, right, you're heading for a major upgrade, <laughs> right? I got the computer language down, right? Hey folks, it was just a few years ago I had a flip phone and many of you were making fun of me. I was paying $19.99 for my flip phone and people would be, if I was talking about it just a few years ago, people were laughing at me. No, now, now I have, now I have the 13. I'm bad. And now they have the 14 coming. I, I have to get it. I have to get it. No, no. So, so again, we're heading for an upper. By the way, if you're not a believer, you know what you're heading for? A downgrade. And, and we're talking, hey, it, it's a really bad downgrade. So, again, he's the creator. He's the sustainer. And again, he is the God, right, of new beginnings, right, new beginnings. He's the finisher. And uh, you could say to yourself today, Happy New You, <laughs> right? He's already started the work. We're a new creation in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come, right? They're in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17. But he's going to bring it to completion, and he's going to finish it. So here's, here's, a, here's a, a final conclusion with this. Jesus makes some incredible claims. And they're claims upon us as human beings. They're demands. They're callings. But he, make, he makes numerous of, of, of these incredible claims upon a human being. He, he says in one place in John 14, 16... I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. He, does, he doesn't say here, I am a truth or a way. He says, I am the way. Right? He's not, he says, I am the way, not a way. Basically, he's saying, I am the only way. I'm the only way. And that is, that is a, a powerful claim, I mean, for anyone to make. How can he make such a claim? Well, because he is your creator. Not only did he create the entire universe and every atom in it, he knit you together in your mama's womb, piece by piece, cell by cell, atom by atom, molecule by molecule. He is your creator. He is your sustainer and he sustains you and holds you together right now right now he's holding you together you may not be holding things together but he's holding you together and he is the finisher our finisher our savior who hung on the cross six hours on Friday and said the words it is finished that is why he can make 
that claim and say, believe in me, follow me, receive me, right? And if you will, what does it give you, right? An upgrade. <laughs> you get a new upgrade, body, soul, spirit, and you get a new place to spend eternity, all eternity, the new heaven and the new earth, right? Our creator, our sustainer, our finisher. If you haven't opened your heart to him and taken him in, you need to do that. Because that will be the most important decision you ever make. Put your faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Receive him into your heart and soul. Begin a relationship with him and start to get to know him. Because it is a wonderful thing. The most wonderful thing. Amen? Let's just bow our heads. We'll close. Father, we thank you, Lord God, for your word. I thank you, Lord God, with all my heart, from my heart, Lord, how your word is new every morning to me. And Lord God, as I come to it and I study it, Lord God, how, Lord God, it never gets boring. Forty years, and it never gets boring. And even, Lord God, going back and reading Genesis 1-1, how many thousands of times I've read it, Lord God, it just, it just continues to come to life. And there are new revelations, new mysteries, Lord God, unveiled. New things, Lord God, just uncovered before my eyes and my heart. And I thank you for that. You're never boring. Your word is never boring. And I thank you, Lord God, that you created us. Never take that for granted. I thank you, Lord God, that you sustain us every day. Keep the heart beating and the organs working. And I thank you, Lord God, that you are our finisher who finished the work on the cross, our redemption, our salvation. And ultimately, God, Lord, you will finish the entire work of the new creation, the new heavens and the new earth. And Lord God, making us completely new like your son in body, soul, and spirit. So, Father God, we give you thanks and praise, Lord, in your glorious name on this morning. Bless the day. Bless the rest of the day. And in Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. You can stand with me and we'll worship the Lord. The altars are open. If you'd like to come forward for prayer, just come forward to spend some time with him and seek him. Thank you, Pastor Frank. <clears throat> yes, the altars are open as we close in song. Thank you, Lord, for your holy word. What a precious word. Psalm 24, verse 4. Verse 4. We're going to sing that together. Give us clean hands, Lord. Souls to 
another. Give us clean hands. Give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another. God, let us be a generation that seeks, that seeks your face. God bless the rest of your day. Enjoy it. Those of you going to the picnic, have a lot of fun. Fellowship with one another. Get to know one another. Don't eat too much. Okay? Jesus, go with you all and bless our day in his precious and glorious name. Amen.